Amen. I love that song. And uh, the longer that we're here, the more true that that song seems to become. Amen. Please turn, if you would, in your Bible to the book of John. John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. I'd like to uh, spend a little bit of time this evening looking at what we see of Judas Iscariot in John chapter 12. Judas is this, he's an example of a false convert. If you spend much time around church, you're going to spend some time around some false converts. Many times their, their behavior uh, can, can, can baffle us, and what we find here is a frame of understanding for why they behave the way that they behave. Something else about Judas is that Judas was someone who existed with an earthly, secular perspective rather than eternal and spiritual perspective. And so he took things that were spiritual and tried to understand them through that lens, and it just simply didn't work. And so I think that there's a lesson for us in that as well. John chapter number 12, verse number 1, the Bible says, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Your Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for... Just the opportunity this evening to come and be assembled in this place and the time that we've had for fellowship, Lord, and the time that we've had to uh, uh, sing praises to You. And I pray, dear Lord, that now as we shift our attention to Your Word, that You would do the thing that only You can do, dear Lord, that You, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, would take this book and that You would apply it to our lives. Dear Lord, that we would hear with great clarity, without interruption, the thing that You are trying to say to to us this evening, and that we would have a spirit of eagerness and willingness to yield to You. I pray, dear Lord, that You would please help us in the areas that we need help. I pray, dear Lord, that You would please help each and every one of us to be changed, to be more like You as a result of this service and everything that goes on within it. And I pray, dear Lord, that You, only You and not any man, would be honored and glorified through Your Word this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, as we look here in John chapter 12, we see Judas in a moment where we recognize a couple of things, and, and I'll just kind of point out some of these things, and then we'll move through them however it comes up, but if we look at this passage, what we see is that Judas was a blessed individual, that he was blessed and that he had some wonderful opportunities. We also see that Judas remained base in his character despite those opportunities. And we see that it was Judas's base character, as we consider Judas on a larger front, that led him to be a betrayer. But when it comes to the blessings that Judas had, consider... 12 where he is. You have the Lord Jesus Christ who is there. He's a guest at this table with Jesus. 
Lazarus is also there. And so you have Jesus, the one who testifies, the one who preaches, and the one who says a lot of very bold things. We talked about this for a moment last night in truth. That Jesus was somebody that said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. My doctrine is not mine, but it is His who sent me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. These are the things that Jesus said, and these were very bold statements. And so the question then comes, how is it that we know that what He is saying is true? Lazarus. Lazarus is right there, who is an example of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was who he said he was. This was the purpose of the miracles of Jesus, that they demonstrated the truth of who he was. And Lazarus was somebody here with Jesus who speaks through and Lazarus, an example that it is in fact the truth, and Judas sits between them. What a wonderful opportunity that we have, uh, or that we see of Judas here to be in this place. Other great opportunities that Judas had, Judas was sent out with the apostles in Matthew chapter number 10. When the apostles got together to replace Judas in Acts 1, they said, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. That ministry being the ministry of the apostles. Being sent out as an apostle means that Judas didn't just know gospel, that Judas was somebody that represented the gospel, that Judas was somebody that pointed to other people and said, hey, Jesus is the way, that he hadn't heard it in passing, but he kicked, picked it up and carried it as commanded by the Lord that others would hear the message and receive it. Meanwhile, remember that outwardly he espouses this message, but inwardly he rejects it. He was a representative of the gospel. What else we see of Judas in John 12 is that he was given charge of the money. That Judas had responsibility in the ministry of Christ. Not just the ministry of the apostles, but the ministry of Christ. The resources that enabled the travel, the lodging, the food that would be necessary for this earthly ministry. Those resources were purchased from the purse that was held by Judas. That's an interesting thing. Also, people would give charitably to the Lord Jesus that he would uh, 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 give to those poor and needy Jews that he encountered along the way. Judas held the purse for that as well. That here he is responsible for this. And that means that at some point, there was a discussion or a meeting, and they said, we need somebody to handle the money. And whether somebody uh, uh, asked Judas so, or Judas volunteered, Everybody was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Nobody spoke up and said, don't let Judas hold the purse. He's a devil. Nobody says that. Instead, Judas is somebody that is regarded by his peers as worthy of this responsibility. And while handling the finances is not a position of authority or a position of, of, of power, because in a church, the finances belong to the Lord, right? They don't belong to the treasurer. They belong to the Lord. And so while it's not that, what it is this, that, that, that the person that handles the money, there's some things that they might know off the top of their head that other people might not know. There's a little bit more of a familiarity with some of the things that go on. This is the level of involvement that Judas has. I say this because I want you to consider that Judas was not a fly on the wall for the ministry of Christ. But instead, Judas was himself involved and bore some responsibility in the efforts that were going on. 
despite that great opportunity, the best opportunity that Judas had was to be present for the ministry of Christ. Just to be there for it. Because what that means is, is that Judas had the best preacher. That's what it means. It means that he heard the best sermons that have ever been preached and will ever be preached on this earth from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ straight to the ears of Judas. Judas was there and he heard these things. Judas not only heard these, but he saw with his own eyes the lepers cleansed. He saw the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead brought back to life. This are, these are the things that Judas bore witness to during the earthly ministry of Christ. And all of these things demonstrated the truth that Jesus was who He said He was. And that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus meant it, that these words were true. And the evidence was around Him. And yet, Judas rejected the Gospel. Yet, he did not receive it. And because of this, he remained base in his character. Because this is just it. Is it's the gospel that changes men. It's the gospel that changes men. You think about opportunities and you think about circumstances. My friend, during this period of time, Judas could not have asked for better circumstances. That Judas here is somebody, Judas is somebody that is spending his days rubbing shoulders with the men that the Holy Spirit was going to use to complete the canon of Scripture. To take the foundation that was laid by the Lord Jesus Christ and on it build the church book of Acts that we're going to turn the world upside down, so to speak, with the Gospel. That these were the men that Judas spent his day with. And yet he remained unchanged. Why? Because he rejected the Gospel. Judas had Jesus for a preacher and he remained unchanged. Why? Because he rejected the Gospel. Judas saw signs and wonders, but he remained unchanged. Why? Because he rejected the Gospel. Outwardly, he espoused these things, but he remained unchanged. Because inwardly, man looketh on the outward. Inwardly, he rejected this. Before we see Judas's base character, in verse number 5, what we see in verse number 3 is an example of a genuine convert. We see Mary, and we see this thing that she does in verse 3, and the power of it. Verse 3, it says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. This is, this is two things. One, it is a demonstration of the love that Mary has for the Lord Jesus Christ. She loves Jesus. She's been around Jesus for a while now, and her family is being around Jesus. They've been around Him for a while now, and the more that she's around Him, the more that she gets to know Him, and the more that her love for Him increases, and she begins to see His power manifest in their lives most evidently now upon Lazarus, her brother, being brought back to the dead. And after this, here she is, so full of love for the Lord Jesus Christ that she can't keep it inside. So full of love for Jesus that she has to come out in some way. And this is it coming out. This is her showing him this love that she has. This is that love being manifest. And she demonstrates it in two ways through her giving, that she's been 
prospered in some way. She's got this symbol of earthly goods. And she doesn't want it anymore. She loves Jesus. And so she wants to have it. And so she gives it to him. But to her serving, that's the giving of self, right? So she gives has, but then she gives of herself in wiping his feet with her hair. And in doing this here, she is demonstrating the, the love that she has and saying, look, I am giving of what I have and of giving uh, and even giving of myself to you. This was a demonstration of her love. It was also a demonstration of her faith. It was a demonstration of her faith in Jesus Christ. What we see here is that she has faith in him as Messiah. He is our high priest. He is the king of kings. And here he's being anointed these things. He is Emmanuel. That is God with us. And this is a worshipful action, right? And the Lord Jesus Christ is here receiving the worship because he is worthy of the worship. In the Old Testament, somebody's being worshipped. They're not supposed to be. They say, don't worship me, worship him. Jesus doesn't do that because Jesus is worthy of the worship. And so he receives it. So she has faith in him as Messiah. Messiah. And what we see is the maturity of the faith that she has. This love and this faith here coming together. We see it as mature because one, this, this, this pound of ointment of spikenard that is a symbol of earth goods, that she takes this thing that symbolizes value in the world and gives it to Jesus because she doesn't depend on the value of the world. She doesn't depend upon the things of this life. She doesn't depend upon what this world can give her and what this world can provide her. But her dependence is upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she takes this thing and gives it to Him. It's also a picture of her delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this, this ointment, it wasn't a religious ointment. It was a perfumey kind of ointment. It was an ointment used for pampering yourself and that sort of thing. It was a very fragrant ointment. In saying that it's a picture of earthly delights and earthly joys and earthly pleasures in some of the things that this world can provide, takes it and gives it to the Lord Jesus Christ because she doesn't delight in what this life can give her. She delight in what this world can provide. Instead, she delights in the Lord Jesus Christ and in who He is and in what He has done and in what He will do and in who He is to her. This is the source of her delight. But it's also a picture of her desire for the Lord because of the volume of it. This thing is high in volume. She has a pound of this ointment and she gives it all when it would have been reasonable to give a portion of it. It would have been reasonable to give a portion of it and take it and say, oh, I want you to have this and the rest of it I'm going to kind of set back. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they had a piece of land, sold it, kept back part of the price. Nothing wrong with that. The problem was they lied about it, right? And so it's the lying that's a problem. She could have kept a portion of this thing for herself, but she didn't because it's a symbol of her desire for the Lord. Delight's kind of a short-term temporary thing, right? Right here, right now. But, but I'm sorry, that's delight. But desire is more of the long-term. Desire is the goal. It is the thing that we pursue. The thing that we want. And so in and giving 
give it to the Lord, what she's saying is, is that my dependence is on you and my delight is in you not only today and tomorrow, but next next month because I'm not holding anything back. I'm not holding any part of myself or any part of what I have back because I don't know what tomorrow holds or I don't know what, what next month holds and I'm not sure or not you'll be faithful what she's demonstrating is i am all in i am all in you are what i depend upon you are what i do and you are what i desire this is a picture of two different things and one of them is is the the uh, uh john the baptist said said he must increase and i must Right, And so here we have Mary in humility giving this thing and then his feet with her hair as a physical picture of decreasing, that is humbling herself to what end? That he might increase, that he might be exalted, that he would be exalted in this way. But we also see what the Apostle Romans chapter number 12, verse 1, that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service. That this is the command given here. And now we have Mary coming herself as a sacrifice and bringing of what she has as a sacrifice, giving it to the Lord and saying, you are what I desire, not the things of this life. And so I am yours. This is what we're told in Scripture when it said that we're bought with a price. That we are bought with a price. This is the, 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 the sentiment of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter number 3 when he talks about all of the things that he had pursued in this life and all the things that he had gained. He says that if anybody should have had confidence in the flesh, that it was me. And he says that he took all of those things. He says that he, he saw of all things, that he counted to what end? It was for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. It was to be found in Him. It was to win Christ. And then He said that I might know Him. What He says is I had all of these things and I gave them up because what I wanted was the Lord. I wanted Him. I desire to know Him. And I've given everything that was and I've given myself to that end because this is what I desire. The Lord said that I might know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Meaning that I know that it's going to cost me something. That I have counted the cost and I know that I'm going to suffer things in my pursuit of the Lord to know Him on a deeper and more personal and more intimate level. But I also know that in that suffering, it's worth it. Because in that suffering, He will prove faithful and He will reveal Himself to me and He will reveal His character to me and He will comfort me and I will learn in that suffering. And so because my desire is that I may know Him, it's worth it. I'm willing to suffer for the Lord because He is what I want. Somebody said that a mature faith wants God and an immature faith wants something from God. What we have here are some pictures of a mature faith that just desires the Lord and just desires the fellowship of the Lord and the presence of the Lord and the power that can only come from Him. And they're willing to be a living sacrifice to get it and to say, I'll not pursue earthly things. I'll not pursue secular things, but I'll pursue those eternal things. And I'll pursue those spiritual things. 
I might know Him. Because He's worth it. Here we have Mary's demonstration of this faith and demonstration of this love. And what does it do? It changes the atmosphere of the house. That this thing that she does changes atmosphere into an atmosphere that is sweet. This fragrant filled the house. And my friend, a demonstration of love and demonstrations of faith, that is how you have a godly atmosphere in your church. That is how you have a godly atmosphere in your home. When all that you do, you do to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. When what you do, you do out of a love for Him and out of faith for Him. And that you live to serve Him and to please Him, the result of that thing is a godly atmosphere and an atmosphere that's pleasant to be in. An atmosphere that's conducive to fellowship. An atmosphere that is conducive to joy when we make it about Him and not about us. When we make it about exalting Him and lifting up ourselves or anybody else. When we just make it about Him. I want you to consider that this all of it goes over the head of Judas. That he is there for this very special moment where we see this foreshadowing of prophecy that even Jesus is speaking to towards the end of what we read. And all of it goes over the head of Judas. He doesn't see it because what's going on is something of eternal value. What's going on is something of a spiritual nature. And see, Judas is not there for that. And so where Christ sees worship, Judas sees waste. And when Mary has a sweet spirit and has a selfless spirit, Judas in response to that becomes sour and becomes selfish. That in the presence of that thing, he's not impacted by it, he's hardened by it. Not hardened. What it comes down to is that when Christ was being exalted, Judas becomes indignant because the exaltation of Christ was robbery to Judas. See, there was no way here in John 12 for Jesus to receive what He was worthy of and for Judas to receive what He was there for. When we see the contrast that's so clear between Mary and Judas, consider we see the actions of Mary measured against the words of Judas. That Mary is endeavoring to bring glory to the Lord here, and Judas instead says, I know what would have honored Him more. I have an idea that exalted Him further that would have been more pleasing to our God. And instead, tries to bring the attention to his thoughts, to his ideas, to his method, to his way of doing things here. Mary shows up to give. Judas is here to get. Mary is there to serve and Judas is there to be served. Mary is there with a vision that's centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't see her coming in and interacting with others and saying, alright, everybody watch now as I demonstrate the love that I have for Jesus and the faith that I have in Him. Instead, it's just right to the Lord Jesus. And Judas shows up with a vision that's centered on himself. See, he can't see what it is that Jesus is getting because he can only see what he's losing. That's what he sees. His vision is on himself. Mary shows up to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and Judas shows up to further his own earthly ease. See, Judas has some, has some goals. Judas has, some, has a financial agenda of some kind. 
And he believes that he can use the responsibilities that come with following Jesus to further these things. And that is why he is there. He's there not for the eternal nature of the ministry of Christ, but instead he's there for what he thinks he can get out of it in the short term. He is there for what earthly gain may be present for him. This is a common theme in the Bible. This is a common theme in the book of John. We see it a number of different places where Jesus was there with any, for an eternal purpose. Right? And they're on a spiritual mission. But there were those who heard his words and saw what he was doing, and they had something else in mind. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, Jesus is witnessing to her, and she hears his words. He says, I've got water, and if you drink of it, you'll never again. And she says, Give me this water that I thirst not. And then she says, Neither come hither to draw. She hears in the words of Jesus, not the Gospel, not that He is a spiritual offering in this way, but instead, what she hears is something that is going to make her earthly life easier. That she will not have to come in the heat of the day uh, 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 and, and endure the physical hardship. That she will not have to come in the cool of the morning and endure the mental hardship of the scorn of her peers. And so if she this thing that Jesus has, it's going to make her earthly life that much easier. Give it to me. Jesus presses on. She turns it into an intellectual debate. Jesus presses on. She hears the gospel, receives the gospel, and is changed by it. She's changed by the gospel when the passage begins. She's avoiding people. When the passage ends, she's running to people and saying, you have got to come and meet Jesus. That's the effect of the gospel that it will change you. But before she got to that point, hearing was something of earthly gain. Notice that Jesus didn't give up on her. That Jesus pressed forward. That He continued to speak to her. I really believe that there are people that we interact with and people who oftentimes sit in pews who can be represented by the three stages that the woman at the well went through. That there are people who sit in church and they know the Gospel, but they haven't received it because their mindset is more on earthly things than it is on eternal things. I want you to consider as well John 6. Jesus multitude. Multitude begins to follow Him. And He says in verse number 26, uh, back there and read it because I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to mess it up. Uh, uh, verse number 26 of, uh, of John 6, what Jesus says is, He says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. He says, you are here not for the spiritual thing, but you're here for that secular thing. You're not here for the eternal thing. You're here for the earthly thing. And so he gives them a hard spiritual saying. The natural man receiveth not, and so they reject it. John 6, 66, they go away and they follow him no more. But he provides a solution to this. He says in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for Him hath God the Father sealed. Labor not for these things that are temporary, that He is there with something greater in mind. 
The Bible says that He came unto His own and His own received Him not. We could, John 6.66, that group of people are characterized by that verse. Judas Iscariot characterized by that verse. He was His own and He received Him not. Why did they receive Him not? See, Jesus came as a spiritual Messiah to suffer that they would be released from the, sin, from, from the bondage of sin. That's why Jesus was there. But they were looking for a social Messiah who would come and restore unto them a sovereign state and lead it that they would be released from the bondage of Rome. This is who they were looking for. And as Jesus would begin to make it clear who He was, confused because many people were coming to Him and they were saying, He's the guy! We've been waiting for Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament to come and release us from Rome. And Jesus is the one that can unite all of the divisions and restore a sovereign state. And He might be the only one that everybody will follow. And so they began to follow Him with this social kind of a mindset, with this earthly temporal thing. But see, as the ministry of Christ moved on, He began to be more and more clear about who He was. Even here in John 12, we see, for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not, not always. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. Jesus begins to make it more and more clear, showing them that He's that spiritual Messiah who's come to suffer, that they'd be released from the bondage of sin. And so as this is who they're looking for, and Jesus begins to make it clear, the vision that they have of Him starts to fade. Judas, who is only there for what he can find of earthly gain, eventually realizes that all that he has left to get from Jesus is what his life is worth. Sure, he had much to gain by being the man that held the purse for the one who'd restore a sovereign state, but little to gain by being the one that held the purse who would die for the sins of the world. There's not a lot of money in that. And so, what does Judas do? He becomes a betrayer. Because his focus was on these earthly things. And he lost the eternal message. He lost the spiritual message of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you consider the characteristics that we see of Judas here, characteristics of a false convert, we see that one, he's got an unchanged heart. Because you can change a life without changing the heart. Everything about Judas's life changed. Outwardly, everything was different. Who he was around, what his goals were, what he was doing, right? Outwardly, it's all different. But inwardly, he remained the same. He remained unchanged. You can change the life without changing the heart, but the opposite doesn't work. If you change the heart, the life will change as, uh, as a result of that changed heart. The second thing is a selfish interest in religious things. That for Judas, these things were about power, they were about authority, they were about personal gain. They were not about exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's got a humanistic focus, which is that third thing, an inability to understand spirituality. An inability to understand things that are of an eternal nature and a spiritual nature because of that humanistic focus and usually a pretty harsh judgment towards those things because they don't make sense like living by faith and uh, yielding to the will of the Father and giving of yourself beyond what is deemed reasonable by those around you because it doesn't make sense on a spreadsheet. It can't be a good idea in the call of God and the move of the Holy Spirit bears no weight. Bears no weight and has no authority 
in the lives and in the minds of these individuals. I'd like you to consider this, that even in these three things that I just outlined, we see one thing that's, that's just everywhere. That Judas is a false convert, his primary characteristic was selfishness, right? He was there for himself. This is the result of carnality in the Christian life as well. What will carnality do? It will cause you to serve yourself. It will cause you to see yourself. It will cause you to pursue your own. It will cause you to try and be the Lord of your own life. Sit on own of your own heart, that it will cause you to pursue your own end through your own means. That is what carnality will do. It makes it about you, you, but understand this, that the Christian life, an abridged summary of it, is to present your bodies a living sacrifice that we would live not for ourselves, but that we would live for Him and that we would not pursue personal authority, but that we would yield to His authority. This is the responsibility of the Christian life. And my friend, carnality exists to keep you from that. That old man desires to keep you from that. And so while these are characteristics of a false convert, consider that these are also warnings. They are warnings that we would watch our own hearts closely that we would endeavor to know ourselves and run from selfishness. And when you, when you see it, what do you do? You crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts. That you take that thing and you give it to the Lord and you ask Him to nurture within you a spirit that is willing and eager to yield to Him at every turn. That all that you do would be done for Him and would be done for His honor and for His glory. That in our bodily lives, we would yield and live worshipful lives. Why? Because He and He alone is worthy. We are not. I will pray and ask Pastor to come. Dear Heavenly